Welcome, everybody. Um, glad you all made time to be here this morning. Uh, we are very excited to have with us Rabbi Lisa Goldstein, uh, who Mark and I know from the Institute for Jewish Spirituality. As many of you know, I did the rabbinic cohort, the uh, two-year program at IJS. Mark did the lay version of the same thing, um, the Kivun program. And uh, both of us uh, were changed, deeply changed by our experience with IJS. Uh, and one of the reasons it was so uh, is because we had teachers like Rabbi Goldstein, uh, people who walk the walk uh, and are excellent at talking the walk uh, and teaching um, from a Jewish perspective of a deeply grounded uh, Jewish spirituality. Uh, and as you know, we are we are approaching the Chagim, we're approaching the High Holy Days. Uh, and for us, it doesn't begin at Rosh Hashanah. Traditionally, the practice of preparing for Rosh Hashanah begins uh, at the start of the month of Elul, the month before the high holidays, so that we get a 30-day, 28-day run-up to Rosh Hashanah to start preparing uh, to be really present at the holidays as soon as they begin. And so Rabbi Goldstein is uh, here to teach this morning to this idea of Elul, to this idea of spiritual preparation, uh, so that we can do work before we get to Rosh Hashanah, so that truly Rosh Hashanah has the opportunity to enter a little differently. The, the, the music, the liturgy, the practices, the time of year, the moon, everything um, can work on us a little differently if we've tenderized uh, our hearts and souls a little bit. So she's going to teach about how traditionally we do that. Um, and Rabbi Goldstein comes to us with uh, 25 years of teaching experience. Uh, so it's a beautiful thing to have experienced people uh, come choose to be with us. And she teaches a variety of online uh, classes with an emphasis on spiritual resilience, cultivating the capacity for love and awe, meditation and other spiritual practices. Um, she also works one-on-one to support people in their spiritual journeys. She was educated at Brown University and Hebrew Union College. Uh, she's worked as an assistant rabbi, the director of Hillel of San Diego, and the executive director of IJS, the Institute for Jewish Spirituality. She's helped create and implement online learning programs, including a self-paced, highly uh, produced kind of class. She's a fellow in the Jewish pedagogy circle at M2, a research program for master educators, and is currently working for certification in NARM, a therapeutic approach to healing developmental trauma. Uh, and she lives in New York City with her husband and foster son. So um, we welcome you, Rabbi Goldstein. We're so excited that you're with us. And um, all of you, I know that uh, you'll join me in giving her a warm KI welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Um, I have um, a fond place in my heart for um, Southern California, which is where I grew up. And actually, my grandmother grew up, um, lived for most of her adult life in Pacific Palisades. So um, I just have a, um, a great love for our community there, and um, I'm just so happy to be part of this particular community um, and um, to be sharing with you some thoughts about um, the High Holy Days. So, um, so here's what I wanted to do. Um, I wanted to do just sort of like a quick check-in um, with one another, just so that we have a sense of where we are. And then I wanted to do a teaching particularly around um, Avinu Malkinu, um, which is this, you know, this prayer that comes out throughout the High Holy Days, which is often really um, challenging for a number of reasons. So I wanted to go into it to see, you know, how we might help use it to orient ourselves towards the holidays. 
Um, and then I want to do like a short little writing exercise and then some sharing and then a closing. So that's sort of the trajectory for where, yeah, beautiful. Um, so, um, so to check in, what I'd love to do is, um, is to take, uh, take a couple of moments and, um, in the chat, um, what is between one to three words about describing the way you are feeling about the fact that Rosh Hashanah is about three weeks away? So put in the chat one to three words about how are you feeling about um, the fact that Rosh Hashanah is, um, is quickly approaching. So we have anxious, excited, amazed, um, too quick, unprepared, calm, confused, excited, anticipatory, not ready, excited, odd, humble, questing, fresh, anew, oi, <laughs> not ready. Yeah. Um, I'm sure you all know the book, um, that, of, um, that Alan Liu wrote to help us get ready, which is, um, this is real and you are completely unprepared. So not ready seems just in line with how we are, even in the best of times. And now we have from Lori pandemic, um, you know, what, what's actually going on? How are we going to deal with this? I'm calmly anticipating. Beautiful. Um, so, um, open and curious. Beautiful. So, um, so what I'd like to do is to like hold all those different things. And I suspect that there are some words up there that you didn't put, you didn't type, but you can also relate to. Um, and one of the things that I like is sort of seeing sort of this, like how so many of us um, can feel similar things in different ways and maybe just sort of checking in. And I want to invite just, I know that um, many of you have, who have your cameras off, it's for a really good reason, but there are times that I'm going to ask you to just turn it on for just a moment, because I think that it's really useful just to be able and just lovely to be able to see each other's faces for just a moment and to just sort of take in who's, who's on this journey with us, who's on this journey um, through Elul into the high holy days um, and to be able to just give each other a little bit of chizuk, a little bit of encouragement as we are getting ready. Um, through the, the beauty of each other's faces. So um, JH, I see you have your hand raised. Did you want to jump in and say something at this time? No. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, so you can always raise your hand um, if you want, or you can just like raise your hand this way also if there's um, something that you want to say. So um, so what I wanted to dive into today is Avinu Malkinu. And um, I'm going to put... Um, into the, um, just into the chat. You, you don't have to look at the text. This is just the text. It's a link in Safari. So if you want to look at it, you can. You will not need to look at it during this session, but just so that you have it. Um, so I always feel like Avinu Malkenu is one of those high holiday prayers that poses an immediate problem, right? So like Avinu Malkenu, which we know literally means our father and our king, and that just slams the door shut for most of us right away. So even if we don't, some of us don't have an issue with the patriarchal language. Um, some, a lot of us do. But even more so, like, how are we supposed to relate to God as our father, 
maybe, but archaic, like, what does that even mean? Like what, what feeling is supposed to come up when we go there? And so often we get stuck right there. And I'm always sort of fascinated at how different machsorim, different high holy day prayer books translate Avinu Malkeinu. Our parent, our sovereign, some people don't translate it at all. They just say Avinu Malkeinu and just like leave it at that just to like help us to be able to get into this prayer a little bit. Um, and what what I would like to do as we go into it is to um, take that question of what do we do with these metaphors? And I want to set them aside for just a few moments so that we can go into a little bit about the origins of this of this prayer. And um, by going into the origins, I think it can open up for us a little bit about how we can relate to this prayer in a way that can bring, I think, much deeper, greater meaning, not just for the high holy days, but for Elul and preparing for it. So where does this prayer come from? So at the first place that we have anything like Avinu Malkinu is from the Talmud, from the Babylonian Talmud, in a tractate called Ta'anit. And um, Ta'anit is a whole section of the Talmud that talks about what do we do when the rains don't come? which as people living in California, I'm sure you can actually relate to just sort of like the visceral emotional sense of, oh my gosh, it's not raining. And the, the terror that that brings up. Um, what's happening in the fields, what's happening in the mountains, what's happening in our own drinking water. Um, you know, in the land of Israel back in the day, they didn't have the Sierra Mountains and the snow melt to help direct drinking water to the, to the communities. So when there was a drought, what that meant is that people were going to die, that um, there weren't, that the crops were not going to grow. There was, because the crops depended on actual rainwater and that there wasn't going to be a harvest and there would be famine and people would die. So, and like in Southern California, the rainy season is between say October and March. And so when the rains didn't start coming in late March, they said, uh-oh, we need to start doing something about this. And back in the day, what the rabbis did is they, they did two things. They prayed and they fasted. And in fact, Ta'anit, the name of this tractate, means fasting. But it's, it's really about fasting to, to bring the rain. So, um, so one year, there was, um, there was a drought and um, they were praying and they were fasting and nothing happened. Like it's, there was, the rain didn't come. And the great leader of that generation, whose name was Rabbi Eliezer ben Herkunus, who um, was a complicated person, he got up there and he got up in front of everyone and he said like a whole bunch of like, I think 24 different prayers to try and bring the rain and nothing happened. And the people were totally panicked. Um, and then Rabbi Eliezer's disciple was Rabbi Akiva. Some of you may have heard of Rabbi Akiva. He was a great rabbi in his own right. He got up and he said two lines. He said, Avinu Malkenu en lanu melach ata. Our father, our king, we have no king but you. Avinu Malkenu lemaancha rachem alenu. Avinu Malkenu, have compassion on us, have mercy on us for your sake. And those two lines did it and the rain came. Just like that. So the Talmud then goes on to say, oh, my gosh, the student did this in front of his great teacher. And like, what are the implications and why? And like the whole thing. OK, whatever. We don't have to go that direction. 
But um, what I think the point was is that later on, when people started writing the prayers of the prayer book of the Mahsur, they had this sense of, oh, yeah, this new year is actually a time of life and death, right? If this, the beginning of the new year, we don't know what's going to happen in the next year. And there's this sense that everything that's going to happen in the next year has its seed, its origin in these high holy days. So we want to say something that evokes the urgency of this particular time of year, the vitalness of it, the how everything sort of hangs in the balance. And so they went back to this story of the life and death situation of what's going to happen when the rains don't come to Rabbi Akiva. And they started building on his formulation, Avinu Malkenu, and in fact, the second line that we have is exactly what he said, you are our only ruler. Now, what's so interesting is different Jewish communities did this differently. So there is no set text. There's no one single text for Avinu Malkenu. It totally depends on where you are. So just as an example, the Yemenite community only has 27 lines of Avinu Malkenu. The Polish community, which a lot of our American um, uh, prayer books are based on, has 44 lines in it. And the Salonika community in Greece, they hold the record with 53 different lines of Avinu Malkenu. So I think what we can learn from this right away is that Avinu Malkenu is something that we can adapt because communities have done that all over the world. They've adapted it to bring different kinds of things. What in this moment of life and death urgency, what is, what do we yearn for? What do we need? What do, what are we asking for? And different communities have different answers to that. So the, um, I'll give, there are four basic categories that I see in Avinu Malkenu, which is, are kind of interesting. So the first is, um, please God protect us from our enemies and from illness. So that's the first category where we look around and we see our sort of physical fragility at the hands either of our of our enemies, of the people who hate us or who would rather us get out of here or, um, or sort of the physical sense. Um, and ask, we ask for protection where we feel weak. We ask for that physical protection. So that's the first section. The second section asks God for help with the process of repentance which I think is really kind of interesting because um, repentance is not like, you know, repent and it should be easy to do. It's understood that repentance is hard. It's hard to come back to try and live our lives in alignment with how we want to be. It's so easy to get off track. And so we ask for help. Like we need, we need support to be able to really live our lives to their full potential. So that's category number two. Category number three is asking for blessings of all different kinds. You know, write us in the book of salvation, write us in the book of prosperity, write us in the book of, um, of, um, of salvation, of, um, of deliverance, of good health, of, um, of comfort, write us for all kinds of blessings and all you can, all the different kinds of books that might be out there. Write us in the book of good deeds. Help us live our lives. Write us in, in those books. And then the last big section is asking God to please accept our prayer. 
And it sort of goes through to this point where it might not be for our sake. So accept our prayer for your sake, which is what Rabbi Akiva said at the beginning, for your sake, have compassion on, on us. Listen to our prayer um, for the sake of the martyrs who died for your sake, for all those who've gone through so much, for our ancestors who were so beloved by you, accept our prayers. And then at the very end, we get to this one line that I feel like is the most iconic line of all of Avinu Malkinu. And this is the line that when we hear this, we know it's the high holy days. So um, I'm going to sing it. um, And I want to invite you to sing it also. Um, even if it's la la la, you know this. And just so like, and the, what I want to invite you to do is just like listen to the way that it feels in your body. Just like what, what does this evoke when you hear this? Okay. Avinu Malkenu, Avinu Malkenu, Avinu Malkenu, Khonenu Vaanenu, Ki En Banu Masim, Asayimanu. Sedaka vachese, asei manu tzedaka vachese, vehoshienu. So I just want to pause there and maybe open it up a little bit to um, just maybe if anyone would like to share your experience of Avinu Malkinu um, before we sort of move into the next part, to the meaning of it, to the singing of it, to what it means for you. Um, I would love to hear if anybody would like to share some of that. It always makes me want to cry. It always starts the crying. And always, I mean, it cracks me open in ways that I can't explain and don't really need to anymore. Yeah, I'm old enough that I don't need to, but I, it really is one of the few things that busts me wide open. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, Lynn. For me, it always brings me back to when my family, we were part of the first 40 that started Stephen Wise Temple here. And High Holidays with Rabbi Zeldin and Cantor Harvey Block the way Harvey would sing this at standing in front of the ark and you could hear the weeping in his voice. So as a young, young girl, 11, 12, that's where I always go to 
And especially now with my various experiences at different shows, but hearing Chaim sing it, it brings me back to, to that time. Yeah, beautiful. There's something very ancient about this, the melody of it, like very ancient. And um, I, I don't, I, um, I don't think that anyone actually knows where the melody is from. It's not like a lot of the, the melodies that we think of are traditional. We can say, oh yeah, but that was written by so-and-so. We actually don't know who wrote Avinu Malkenu. Um, it's that, it's, it's that, um, it's that ancient. Yeah. Anyone else want to share an Avinu Malkenu experience or any comments or anything about anything that I've said so far? Yeah, Mimi. Okay. So, you know, as a cantor, you know, standing in front of the ark, especially at the end, because the gates are closing and that final Avinu Malkenu comes in there. There is just, you know, a moment that not, you know, that, that I'm speaking for me and I feel it profoundly and that maybe not, not that I can do it for other people, but I feel the strength of being there for community. And it's just like, and sometimes I just sit back and listen to people sing. I don't even sing it to hear that, that powerful voices of community asking for, for compassion and forgiveness and answers. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. It is such a profound and sacred role to be the, the, the chazan, you know, to, to hold that space in front of the community, to, um, to use your own heart, your own yearning to create the space and then like let everyone else's like come up with you. Um, it's, it's, um, it's a powerful, powerful experience. Um, yeah. And actually, um, I, um, I also grew up with, um, um, with Cantor Harvey Block at, um, at, uh, Temple Sinai in Glendale. So, um, so Lynn, I can remember that very, very clearly myself. Yeah. So, um, so anybody else feel, want to share anything about Avinu Malkinu before we move on? Okay. So, um, so I want to look at that last line for a moment because it's a really interesting line. This is another place where the translation sometimes can, um, I think, for, for um, good motivation, but obfuscate the real power of the line. So that last line is Avinu Malkenu. Okay, so we're going to bracket how we want to talk about Avinu Malkenu for just a moment. Choneinu va'anenu. Honenu is be gracious. I'm going to come back to that in a moment. Va'anenu and answer us. Ki'en banu ma'asim. So most prayer books will translate that as we are of little merit or something like that. But what it actually says is we have no deeds. We got nothing. We are coming with absolutely nothing. And I think, and then the last part, so deal with us with um, righteousness and with chesed, with loving kindness, and, um, and save us and rescue us. Um, so I think the reason that the English often fudges that thing that we have nothing into, we are of little merit, is because it, it feels um, humiliating to say, 
we've got we've got nothing. And so we, we are of little merit. At least we've got some merit. We've got some leg to stand on to say, okay, God, please, please answer us in our in our broken state. But I actually think that understanding the, the Hebrew, the original Hebrew is much more powerful. Because to say that we have nothing means that we do not have to earn God's love. We do not have to earn anything. It's that um, we, we can ask even if we have nothing to back us up. If we have, there's no, it's not a reward. Choneinu, be gracious to us. This is, this is a, a phrase that sometimes gets um, swept into Christianity and owned by the Christians more than by us. Chen, choneinu, grace means a gift that is not earned. It's just freely given. It's I translated, Lisa, I translated yeah. it as gracify us. Beautiful. I love that. Gracify. Because like, it's active, right? Yes, it is. It is. And, and the sense of um, returning to you, not having to, des- to earn anything in return. We're just asking. And that is a very powerful thing. And I think particularly for us as Jews and for other oppressed peoples to be able to say, um, because part of the way that we have survived in the world is by justifying our existence, right? We're going to be really good. We're going to be really successful. We were going to make ourselves necessary. And then maybe you all won't hate us so much. You know, that that is a very, very deep survival strategy of Jews, and that if we don't get it, it means that we didn't deserve it. And we turn into that place of shaming ourselves for, um, for not being able to get what it is that we, that we actually need. Because these things that we listed before are things that we need. We need to be safe and protected. We, we need help in repenting. We need, we need all kinds of blessings in our world. These are not um, superficial, stupid things. These are profound, important things. We need our prayers to be heard. So by saying we are asking for these things without, without earning it, without earning the right, just we're just asking, is assuming a very, very important thing about God. And that is... And this is also going to sound very Christian, but I'm telling you, it's right here in our tradition that we can depend on divine love, that divine love is accessible to us. And I want to take that back to Rabbi Akiva, actually, because Rabbi Akiva, the more you go into learning about him, the more I would say Rabbi Akiva is the rabbi of love. Everything about him was all about love. So Rabbi Akiva, for him, the most important line in the entire Torah was you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's, that's the most important thing in the whole Torah, according to Rabbi Akiva. The holiest book in the Torah is the Song of Songs to Rabbi Akiva, which is the love poetry, right? And he saw that not just as, as expressing love between people, but also the relationship between um, God and and Israel. And um, even his death, so some of you may know Rabbi Akiva died a horrific death. He was martyred by, um, by the Romans. And the story is that on his, as he was basically being tortured to death, he was um, joyful 
because he said that his whole life he had wondered when it says you shall love God with all your heart, with all your um, with all your soul, with all your might, if he could really do that in his dying also. And what he found was that he could. This was his opportunity to fully surrender to um, loving God no matter what. And his disciples said that he um, he died with the word echad, one on on his on his lips. So it's it's a it's a it's a heavy story. It's a it's, it's a disturbing story. But the point that I want to make with it is that Rabbi Akiva was really the um, the rabbi who who saw that the connection between us and God is in fact one of love. And the other place that we see Avinu Malkinu, interestingly, in the prayer book, is there's only one other place that I know of that um, in the prayer book that we see it, which is in um, in Ahava Rabbah, right? We say Avidu Malkenu in, in the prayer Ahava Rabbah, which is also Ahava Rabbah means great love. So there is a connection somehow with this phrase Avidu Malkenu and love. Okay, so I see some quizzical expressions um, and I would love to hear some of your questions or thoughts or um, concerns. Yes, Marilyn. Yeah, I just want to affirm um, what you said about unconditional love, which is a very interesting insight. And I think when you come right down to it psychologically, you know, the model of unconditional love, not only with Hashem and us, but among each other, if you feel unconditionally loved, it so often is a springboard for doing tikkun olam and giving out to others. And those, those who never feel unconditional love are the most withholding often and really can't show and act the sparks of the divine in them. Beautiful. That is absolutely correct. And I think part of what our tradition then says is so that like, what does it mean? You know, I, I, um, just the other day I was actually, um, I was, I was in Los Angeles visiting my parents. I was driving to the airport and on one of the signs over the freeway, it said, Jesus loves you. And um, I was thinking like, you know, so I wonder what, like, I wonder what Christians mean by that. And then that when, because I often talk about divinity as being um, a, um, an expression of love. And then what does that mean? Like, how do we connect into divine love? Like, what, what exactly does that mean? And I'm wondering if any of you have experienced and that and how, how you might think about that, how you might struggle with that or open that up. I mean, yeah, I can say in meditation, mm-hmm. that's that really is the touchstone for me. Yeah, yeah. I think meditation is often a place where we can touch into that that place of of love. Yeah. Anyone have a, have another experience with that? And if not, then I'll sort of. Well, anybody else have a an experience of that? Yeah, Carol. I'm not sure if this is. Precisely, but I will say that I hadn't seen my oldest son for 27 months, and I'm going to get for Clempton crying talking about it. And when I went to get him at the airport like six weeks ago, I ran past where I was supposed to go, but they let me. It was 6 a.m., and we clung to each other, and we both sobbed, and we clung for minutes. And it was 
the emotion was so powerful and awesome and overwhelming. And it was COVID. It was love. And I remember thinking that I, the love between a mother and a child is eternal. It transcends everything. And it was so powerful. Beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. I, um, in some ways, I think that when we say Avinu Malkenu, like that is the, um, the visceral experience that we're looking to, um, to open up, um, you know, which um, is difficult. Yeah, go ahead, Amy. I, I just want to add that, f- you know, for those of us who have struggled with parental love, yes, uh, uh, it also is a really healing, amazing um, way for me anyway, to, to experience being loved in that parental sense. That's not from parents. Um, right. and, you know, and, and, and connecting to the longing for that is part of, I think why I cry every time there's a beauty volcano going on, right. Is, um, we don't often get in touch with the longing to be loved and the longing to be loved the way a parent who really loves their child loves them. And, um, and uh, and to connect to the vulnerability of that and to connect with um, how much we want that, that we protect ourselves from the rest of the year. Exactly. That is so beautiful. Um, because I would dare say that, um, that um, none of us um, have the um, – parents are also people. And are, you know, distracted and flawed in all the ways that, that we're distracted and flawed. And so we have those moments like Carol, if we're lucky, we have those moments like Carol is offering us. But no parent is always present in that kind of a way, right? Like we, we, we know that, unfortunately. And that does damage to us as children. We know that too. Um, but this idea that the love that we connect into is a manifestation of God that we then channel through us to be able to extend to those that we love when we're in our best place. And that that love is available to us, even if our parents were unable to give it to us the way that we needed it. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, actually, the Haftarah says, um, where Isaiah says to the Israelites, you know, would a, would a mother forget her own child? Well, she might but I will never forget you. I will never leave you. And I think that that is so honest. That is so honest. That love is there. It is available to us. Um, if we, um, if we can allow it to crack us open a little bit to that place of vulnerability that we protect ourselves from for a very good reason. It's much safer. Yeah. Rick, I see you have your hand up. Hi, apologies for not figuring out on my iPhone, how to show the video, but I just want to quickly share that um, as part of my a little preparation process, I'm reading a book, John Lennon and the Jews. And the first whole section of the book is really on love. And it, it goes in rather deeply about different types of love and love in Jewish tradition um, as contrast to love in the Christian tradition. And um, without sharing any of my personal drosh on love, I just think it's very interesting and I'm Glad that you've brought up this topic at this time. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So when we look then at Avinu, 
if we can sort of substitute in like this kind of love that we're looking for. Um, so then what do we do with Malkinu? What do we do with Malkinu? And I think, um, well, first let me open it up. I'm curious if any of you have good strategies for dealing with, with Malkinu, our king. Um, I love Rabbi Jacob Staub's teaching about um, we can be inconsistent in our representations of the divine. Um, and like, I don't, I don't love king or queen most of the time, but at the high holidays, like having this understanding that there are things beyond our control. There are things that are much bigger than we are. That king is, is was the image for the most powerful thing there was in the ancient world. And what you're doing is saying, I get it, that there's something more powerful than me, thank God, um, and that I can kind of turn it over, even when that's hard, um, that there's something much bigger than us. And it, it is to that we're reaching. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. So Malkinu is a sense of power and our own powerlessness in the face of the things that we need the most which is another kind of vulnerability, right? So the, the, there's the sort of the, the emotional heart of vulnerability in Avinu. And then there's the sense of all the things that we need that we actually can't control. Um, and having Malkinu be the receptacle of all of that. And I think now the coming back into the second year of this pandemic, like if the pandemic has taught us anything, it's that we know a lot less than we thought that we did, and we have a lot less power than we thought that we did, right? I mean, we're like, we can't figure out how to agree to how to end this, you know, this, this, this plague um, that's, that's killing thousands and thousands and thousands of people. So, um, and I think to be able to tap into that vulnerability also is scary for us, particularly as Jews. Because if we don't, it, we, there's sort of like, you know, if, if I am not for me, who will be for me, right? There's sort of that mentality. And we know what happens when we don't have control. Like usually a lot of us end up getting killed, right? That's been our experience. So this is asking us to put that aside and to connect in to truly what is it that we need that we are powerless to provide for ourselves, what is it that we need that we are powerless to provide for ourselves? And can we ask for that, knowing that we don't have to earn it, that there is this love that is available that, that will support us just in doing the work to ask the question, what do I deeply need? Not what can I do for others? What do I deeply need? And that is a huge Elul question. Because when we can come into greater alignment with what we deeply need, not the world, although it may be the world and not sort of anybody out there, but what do I personally need? Then I can start connecting into my own, um, my own agency, my own greater alignment, my own ability to start connecting in to live my life the way that I want to live it, which is teshuva, which then helps us be there for others, which, but it all comes back to a deep um, acknowledgement of what we personally need. So, um, so here's what I'd like to do. So um, I'd like to do sort of a short 
Um, well, first, let me get any before we move into the exercise and any comments or questions or feedback or anything that anybody wants to say, maybe someone who hasn't said anything so far or someone who has said something before. Well, I'll say yeah, something. Mark. Uh, yeah. You know, as I listen to you, especially as I see you and Amy working together on this morning project, um, I'm sort of feeling a sense of humility. That is that in order to enter this sort of holy space, it takes a lot of right-sizing, a lot of opening, a lot of capacity to feel what you can't see except what you know is blocking you. And that's sort of what I'm taking away from your teaching this morning. Beautiful. Thank you, Mark. You know, it's so interesting. I don't think that it's accidental um, in the in the bio, Amy mentioned that I'm learning this um, therapeutic approach to childhood trauma. And the way that this, this particular methodology starts is what do you want for yourself and what's getting in the way? Those are like the first two steps. And it is remarkably difficult for most people to be able to articulate what they want for themselves. It's very easy to say, I don't like this and this and this and this, but to be able to say, what do you want for yourself? And then to explore what gets in the way is very difficult. It's very, very difficult. And that's exactly what this prayer is inviting us into. What, what do we most want for ourselves? Yeah, go ahead. Um, I feel like the Avinu Malkenu is a cry to God. Yes. And I always feel teary and a love of God. And it always starts the holiday for me no matter where I am no matter who I'm with with that same even if I'm not with my family I feel the spirituality of welcoming love and welcoming what we have to offer as Jews beautiful beautiful yeah I really resonate with what you're saying I I feel very similarly thank you for sharing that Okay, so um, so here's what I'd like to do. I'm going to lead us through just a very short meditative exercise that's going to lead into a short writing exercise. So, um, so to start out, um, I want to invite you to um, really come into the body. So really sensing into feet on the floor and the support of the chair or the cushion or whatever it is that's holding your body, giving yourself permission to just relax down and feel held by the floor or the chair or the cushion or the bed or whatever it is that's, that's got your back. That's really holding you, allowing the limbs to be heavy, the shoulders relaxed, the hands relaxed. Your eyes can be closed or you can open them and have them softly focused either above or below the computer screen, whatever is more comfortable for you. Creating a little bit of space in the spine so that the breath can move as freely as possible. And then inviting the attention to explore where you feel aliveness in your body. So maybe that's in your breath or Maybe you can feel your heart beating, or maybe there's a tingling sensation or the experience of temperature on your skin. However you feel aliveness in your body, 
And when the attention wanders, that's fine. You can just invite it back with a very curious kind of feeling. What is this aliveness in me? What is it? What's it like? And now I'd like to invite you to imagine a source of profound love in your life. So it could be a person, it could be a pet, it could be a place. What is a source of profound love? It could be in your childhood, it could be now. And imagine that that source of love is with you now. And just notice what that's like. And now I'd like to invite you to imagine a source of great power, great, great power. So it could be something in nature. It could be something human. It could be something not human. First thing that comes to mind, something, a source of tremendous power. And imagining being in the presence of that and just noticing what comes up in you as you imagine that. And then returning your attention to aliveness in the body. What is the sensation of being alive right now? And then when you're ready, coming out of the meditation, opening the eyes. And what I'd like to invite you to do before we move to the writing piece is just look at one face on the screen and send a little love and encouragement to that person. You don't need to know anything about them. We all need love and encouragement. And know that someone's probably sending it to you too. So now I'd like to um, offer the opportunity to write two different things. So the first is, this is the prompt. If you knew in your bones that you could ask for what you really, really need, what would you ask for? If you knew in your bones that you could ask for what you really, really need, what would you ask for? We'll just take a minute with that. Okay. And then prompt two is um, write down an intention to bring with you to the high holy days for Avinu Malkenu. So when you get to Avinu Malkenu, what do you want to experience? What is your hope? What is your intention for what Avinu Malkenu might offer you? either based on our conversation today or based on your past history with it. What is your intention for Avinu Malkenu this year? What do you want to remind yourself of? Okay. So um, what I'd like to do next is to um, do a little bit of sharing in small groups. Um, so here's, but here's the, here's the structure I'd like to suggest. Um, first of all, sharing is completely optional. You do not have to share. Um, no one will think less of you if you don't share. It's really entirely up to you. So if you don't want to share, you can just say pass and everyone will understand. So um, what I would like to invite you to share, if you are willing, is, is your intention for Avinu Malkenu. What, what is, because what is, what do you want to remind yourself of when you come to Avinu Malkenu? Because that might be really inspiring to others and might help share their experience of, of Avinu Malkenu as well. So you can share a little bit about your intention and, um, and if you want a little bit about what this, um, what this prayer means to you. And what I would suggest in doing it is that each person talk for, you know, two minutes or so, up to two minutes. Um, and everyone else just listens. 
and everybody gets a chance to go around. And then at the end, um, if you'd like to share a little bit more or ask someone a question, but, but um, what I would prefer that we not do is to um, give each other advice or say, I know the great book you should read about this, or um, I know the perfect solution for you. We're not going to do any of that. Like we really just want to trust each person's ability to find their own way. So we're really commenting largely about our own experience and just bringing very kind, supportive attention to one another. And that's it. It's a kind of meditation even in and of itself. So we'll be in the groups for about 10 minutes. Um, Rebecca, can you send us off? I will. Beautiful. See you back in about 10 minutes. Hello, hello. We're just going to wait for everyone else to get back, which should be very soon. I hope you had good conversations. I know it's harder to share in the big group than it is in the small group, but um, it's really nice to be able to hear new insights. Hi. Um, I think that this was a very moving experience to find out other people's pain and that you never know what someone's going through from the surface. Yeah. And that it, it gives you a sense of more compassion. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. You know, it's so interesting. We all know that, right? We all know that and, and we forget it so easily. And I think we forget it because, uh, well, for several reasons, but I think often it's because of our own pain. It just feels so, um, so big that um, it, it shrinks our awareness of that, that really we're, we're truly all in this together and each in our own way. But um, when we can really remember each other's um, pain, it, um, it just opens the heart in a very powerful way. Also, I think we tend to, someone taught us um, that we tend to judge our insides by other people's outsides. Definitely, <laughs> definitely, definitely. Oh my gosh. I remember when I was a Hillel director, um, uh, Rabbi Rona Shapiro used to have this um, like directions for what to do when we went to staff conference. And the first one was don't compare your insides with somebody else's outsides. And because, you know, you get in these situations and it looks like they have their life together and they don't. They absolutely don't. That's why we have Abinu Malkinu. We all have these needs. We all have these profound needs. Yeah. Joyce, make sure you unmute yourself so we can hear you. Sorry, forgot. Okay. That's okay. First, I want to say thank you to everyone who has been so kind and compassionate to me for over two years when I nearly died. And um, it's been amazing for everyone to be there from KI and all of what everybody has said, done, felt, and been for me. So the, and I never forget other people's pain. My pain has given me an ability to understand deeper other people's pain, besides the fact that I'm a therapist and I understand pain quite deeply mm-hmm. so yeah thank you Todaraba. thank you it's it's like it's such a beautiful um uh tribute to this community to, um, that people can be with one another when we are in places of pain not everyone has that kind of yeah um you know i think sometimes there's a teaching that um that i really love 
Um, it's a Hasidic teaching by Menachem Nachum of Chernobyl, um, who was also known by his book, The Me'or Enayim. And um, he says that there's a, there's a saying in the Talmud that says that a righteous person can annul a decree from God, which is like, whoa, that's, that's kind of big. A righteous person can annul a decree from God. So he says, well, how does that happen? It's like, well, the, the righteous person has such expanded consciousness that they can take the decree up to like sort of before it was born and devolve, dissolve it back into the cosmic soup. But if the decree is against the righteous person themselves, they can't do that because their, their consciousness gets constricted. Like often when our consciousness, when we are suffering, our consciousness constricts. And so in that case, the Maori Naim says, it's very important for the community, community to pray on behalf of that righteous person. That when they know that they are loved and taken care of, that helps them expand their consciousness, which then, you know, when our consciousness is broader, our suffering lessens. And that's sort of a, a cycle, a positive feedback cycle. Um, so that, uh, yeah, go ahead. How do you explain the people that were in the Holocaust when Avinu, when the holidays came mm-hmm. and their outcry with Avinu Malkenu? And they prayed, even though they were prisoners. How does that get explained? You know, I'm sure each person dealt with it differently. You know, some people, um, some people uh, probably stopped saying it. They just felt like they couldn't say it. And others felt like just articulating their need was, um, was an, uh, an experience of dignity and humanity. That just to say, regardless of what the answer is, to articulate that I have needs that I cannot fulfill and that I trust that there is someone who is listening, just that moment itself is worth saying it. And there's probably a million other responses also. Because I think someone else used the word yearning in in connection to this prayer. And I think that yearning is... um, can be its own answer. That the point of yearning is not for the object of our yearning to be provided. The point of yearning is that it's something that opens the heart. It cracks the heart open. And in that moment of the cracked open heart, we are profoundly, authentically who we are, which is, you know, in those kinds of situations, they're trying to beat that out of us. So when we can access our own deep humanity through our yearning, um, our prayer is answered regardless of what happens on the outside. Now, again, I don't know if I could actually do that. Cause I'm like, as Rabbi Akiva said, like he didn't know that he could do it until he had to. And I don't think any of us know if we can do it until God forbid we have to, but um, you know, and people do have to, and you know, God willing, that won't be us. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for asking. It's an important question. Anything else that came up in the groups about, um, intentions for Avinu Malkinu coming into the High Holy Days ahead of us? Something that you thought was interesting or you hadn't thought of or deepened your own intention? Just how hard it is right now, right? No matter what our intention is, you know, that it, it feels so hard. Like often it feels hard at the holidays because the holidays are about hard and doing the hard work of facing who we are and who we want to be and what we long for and all that stuff. Um, but also right now, just how hard 
Yeah. It, it feels. Yeah. 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 It really is. It really is. Which is, again, I think it's so um, helpful to know that we can start thinking about it now. So that, because I think, you know, one of the things that we find is when something's hard, like we touch into it and then we move away and then we touch into it and then we move away and we touch into it and then we move away. So starting in Elul gives us the opportunity to start touching into it. And we don't have to like stay with it the way that we do on Yom Kippur. And even then we touch into it and step away, right? It's like this, um, Ratzov Ashov. It's like rushing in and pulling back and rushing in and pulling back. And that's just the, nat- the nature of, um, I would say both the spiritual and the psychological process. You know, we have to give ourselves a little space, a little comfort. I also think it gives us a second chance to start over. Yeah. Second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, hundredth. (laughs) New beginnings. Yeah. 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 And that's also exciting because like, who knows how this year is going to be? You know, we're, when, and especially we're, we're, facing it now and we're facing it in the sense of it is so hard and we feel beaten down many of us but um, things can change and the holidays are there to remind us things can change we can ask for what we need and maybe we'll actually get it you know that does happen sometimes amazing yeah rick go ahead make sure you unmute yourself yeah thank you so um i think one of the things i shared was what's hard for me is trying to come into something come into Shabbat, to come into the high holidays, how it's you know hard to go 80 miles an hour and stop on a dime. Yeah. So um, I was teaching Torah last week and I was doing some research because I was really, you know, it was a little correspondence with Virgo, the new moon. And I said, you know, how am I going to, you know, not make it hard to come to a, a stop? So um, I have this little shofar that was like sitting somewhere on a shelf, but I never, so now it's right in front of my computer and even if I can't really blow it, I'm holding it. And the other thing I found is that traditionally Jews during this period of time would read from the Psalms. That's right. So when I was doing some research, I actually came across a reconstructionist synagogue in Ann Arbor where there was a rabbi who did a translation. And if you allow me, there's just one short verse that I've been reading and that has really spoken to me. Beautiful. And it Please. says, um, I only ask one thing of you, just one thing, that I may be welcome in your house all the days of my life to dwell in your innermost place in the safety beneath the softness of your wings. Beautiful. Beautiful. You know, I was actually thinking about concluding with that verse because there's a very um, well-known melody to it that that many people know. Um, And I actually wonder... um, Mimi, would you feel comfortable leading us in that? In Achat Sha'alti? You want Achat Sha'alti or do you yes. want Alule Hemanti? Um, I guess it's Achat Sha'alti. Achat Sha'alti. Uh, maybe. Let me think about it. I'm much better with Lule but than I am with Achat. But uh, let me see what I can do. Okay. Okay. Beautiful. All right. Do you want it now? Um, you let me know when. Yeah. If, if you, if you're, and I don't want to put you on the spot, so it's, it's okay. I just want to get, I just want to get the text up for me. Yeah. Okay. okay. Go for it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. So this is, so for those of you who are, those of you who are following along at home, um, this is, um, this is Psalm 27 and, um, this is the Psalm that is traditionally associated with the month of Elul. 
And um, it's actually a really interesting psalm in that the first part of it says, like, I have no fear. God is with me. Everything is great. Even if, like, there's a battle out there, I'm going to be fine because I know that you're going to take care of me. And then the second half of the of the psalm says, um, actually, um, where are you? And please don't hide your face from me. And like, I'm, um, if I, if I could only believe that you're going to be there for me in the land of the living. And then it ends with this, um, um, be strong and of good, of good courage and wait for God. So you might think that the psalm would work better the other way around, right? Starting off with the doubt and the tentativeness and then concluding with, yes, God is with me. But that's not the way that it goes, which I think is actually, um, you know, that's also part of Elul. It's part of this, um, the spiritual journey is not a linear journey. We come close, we draw back, our hearts open, they get broken, they heal, they come, they grow. Like that's the spiritual journey. So it's, um, it's a beautiful psalm. Um, and uh, Mimi, whenever you're ready, would be Okay, and... Uh... Uh, Rabbi, Rabbi Amy, if you'll back me up, if I start going astray, it might be ending up in a partial harmony, but I'm starting. Adonai o ta'avakesh Shivti bevet Adonai Koyame chayai Lachazot benoam benoam Adonai Beautiful. Thank you so much. That was absolutely gorgeous. Um, and Rick, will you read us the English one more time just so that we remember it? Um, well, I will. That same phrase that I, the same yep, um, exactly verses that I read before. Yep. It is, I only ask one thing of you. Just this one thing, that I may be welcome in your house all the days of my life, to dwell in your innermost place beneath the softness of your wings. So I think both that psalm and Avinu Malkina really invite us into what is it that we wish? What is the one thing that we ask for? <clears throat> and to have the, um, the clarity and the courage to bring that with us to the high holy days, to use these days of Elul to sort through that to, so that when we get to the synagogue or the Zoom screen or whatever, wherever it happens to be on Rosh Hashanah, that our hearts are open um, and the holidays can do their magic. And um, I just really want to, um, to bless all of you with a year of health and of goodness and of love and of connection and of being together and of supporting one another that it truly be a year of blessing for us and for the whole world. The world certainly needs it. Um, and I also just want to briefly say, if any of you, I, I have a website, if any of you are interested in staying connected, it's um, rabbilisagoldstein.com. Um, so there's a, 
I send out teachings occasionally and offer different classes and I would be delighted to, um, to continue to be connected with you. So can you repeat the web? Can you repeat the website? Yes. It's um, rabbi Lisa Goldstein.com. I'm from our hearts to yours. Uh, rabbi Goldstein. May you continue to be strengthened uh, in your teaching, in your learning. Um, and may you be open to the love and regard and gratitude and respect of all of us uh, who are fortunate enough today to be your students. Thank you.